Welcome everybody to Tavcast, your approximate monthly roundup of anything Unitav. Uh, special guest today, Skull Collector and Majemko. We'll be going through a few topics, <clears throat> which are but are not limited to, as uh, history has shown. A few things uh, regarding the RQC and rank changes. We're looking at a quick summary of uh, recruitment in the past. And there's one last topic, uh, multi-platform support on Unitav, the website and its framework. So let's dig right into the first one. Right. What's changed since uh, the last half cast? Some of you were here, some of you weren't. But quick roundup, uh, Operator Campaign Sapphire has started rolling out. We've had two deployments on them. Slowly increasing its rating, uh, working on it. Brimstone ended since last time. One of the longest standing campaigns we had, 50 deployments. Pretty much a monster in its own right. And uh, fairly distinct. I'm actually here this time. Hello. Uh, <laughs> not actually late. Not late. We're yeah. so proud. Yeah, thank you. Right. First, heavy hand the topic rank changes. James, there's been a bit of an update in the RxUC itself about introducing a sort of initiate rank into that bracket and then doing a more experienced one for people that have either been in that rank or shown exceeding amounts of dedication, capabilities, and skills. Could you elaborate a bit on that? I'll do my best. Um, yeah, so there's there's two sides to this. So and 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 this topic. It's going to be quite a big part of the next sit rep and, and for those listening that are relatively new to unitaf right so these taf casts we usually talk about things that are about to change or things that are being worked on or sometimes things that have just changed so there is a, a chat channel just above the stage now it should be called Tafcast live chat so feel free to i think people are having trouble yeah is that. it actually working now or i don't know let me have a look it's probably because Might be the... it Sorry, I, put it in the announcement section and not in the social section. That's why, isn't it? Aha. Move it a second. Just put it below general chat. Let me resync those permissions. Let's see what happens. Has that fixed it? Ah, there we go. Hey. There we go. Of course, my gift doesn't we work, but that's important. Podcast without that channel existing, so we're, we're <laughs> um, so yeah, you can obviously chat along in there, but also questions. Some of these topics we're discussing are probably going to be quite controversial, I guess. So, um, but that is why we do it. We want to hear what people. Um, but yeah, so there's two two sides to this. So we're we're doing quite a major rank review, and for some people they won't give a damn about this, but for others maybe they will. Um, and the first one is on the OCOC side, so. What we've always tried to do in the OCOC is we've got this sort of rule of twos, right? So when you're in a position, you sort of start, if you like, at an entry level. Um, and then, you you know, once you become a bit more established, you know, you, you, there's an established rank. If you look at the troop commanders, you've got the second lieutenants and you've got the first lieutenants, right? And so it's a way of us saying, you know, here's, here's your new job. You know, good luck. And then down the line when we think, you know, they've really nailed it. That That's what that secondary rank is for. And... In a broad sense, right, um, depending on the type of person you are, that either means a lot to you or it doesn't. But it's important for UNITAF because it's a structure that provides a, a level of progression for, for people, just like any other type of progression in the real world. 
and it goes alongside all the other stuff that we do to reward people like medals and things like that but one thing that we haven't got is two ranks for our entry level um org coc so when people first join the org coc they become a corporal right but there is no secondary rank for corporal um it's either you get promoted to sergeant and become a section commander or you stay as corporal forever and that's something that we want to fix right so we want to have two ranks for assistant section commanders we want to have two ranks for section commanders troop sergeants troop commanders and so on and to be fair we do it's only actually ascs that we don't have two ranks for so we've got two options basically we either introduce a new rank below corporal um or we move all of the ranks down one so all of the current ranks we just shift them down one and then we use corporal and sergeant as the assistant section commander ranks so that's essentially the two options that we're looking at um and this to be honest won't affect most people anyway but we're just always like most things just want to make you aware um if we do add one below it'll probably come be inspired by the usmc rank which is lance corporal and we'll put lance corporal below corporal and if we don't do that what we'll probably do like i said is move all the current nco ranks down one and so that the ASCs, like I said, Corporal Sergeant, the Section Commanders, Staff Sergeant, Sergeant First Class, the Troop Sergeants, First Sergeant, Master Sergeant. And that'll pretty much be be a lot. And for the NCO change, that that's pretty much it. And like I say, for most people, I think they'll probably be relatively indifferent about that. But I suppose what it means for most members is when you see that change come in, it's not that anyone in the org has been demoted or promoted, depending on which way we go with it. It's merely a reassignment of what each rank means, either one up or one down. So if you do see that in the syrup, that's why we're doing it. All right. Um, does that mean any type of functional differences as well, or is it more of a outwardly status thing? Um, I don't think it's any functional difference. I, I just think there's some people that join the org COC, right? They become... A corporal and they don't want to move anywhere from there they're happy with that you know they enjoy fire team leading they don't have any progression at the moment and we just want to give some progression at that stage and that's the whole reason for the change there won't be any functional difference to what assistant section commanders do um if we do go for the latter model basically there'll be some perception difference for ranks right so what you currently look at as a staff sergeant which is quite a rare rank, will be a very common because it's being replaced by SFC, if you get me. So what certain ranks mean will be slightly different than they were before. But obviously, once people get used to that, it will be functionally basically the same as it is now. Okay. Um, going from the RQC to the enlisted ranks, we have how many ranks is it now? Starting from recruit up to... 32, I think, something like that. Just for enlisted? Use, we don't use them. Oh, for enlisted, then. Yeah. Six, seven, isn't it? Something like that. <clears throat> so, in addition to that, there will also be more higher up ranks as well? Is uh, what you said? Yeah, so, I mean, people are probably used to it now. Whenever we look at something, we tend to then look at everything related to that thing. So, I guess the next set rep's got quite a broad rank review in it. Um, and yeah, basically what you're referring to is, and we've been asked about this quite a lot by a few different people, is to introduce all of the 
um, specialist ranks. So they're not something that's used anymore in the US Army, which is what our uh, rank system is based on. But um, in, in the past, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, they had quite a lot of specialist ranks, about five or six in, in the end. And we've been asked quite a bit to bring all of those in. And that's something that we're now looking at doing. So at the moment, obviously, you've got uh, recruit private, private first class, specialist, master specialist. Um, master specialist is sort of specialist two, but we just sort of rebranded it and called it master specialist. But what we're looking to do is bring five specialist ranks in. So essentially, you've got, um, if, if you think about it, if with only the ones we've got at the moment, there's not a massive difference between a PFC specialist and a master specialist, right? So we want to broaden that out by bringing these these new ranks in. Mm -hmm. um, I guess there's also not going to be much of a functional difference there other than the expectation from uh, higher up, like how devoted they are, how much their experience is in some certain areas and things like that. Um, so, so one of the issues with our rank system, right, is when we started, I remember having this conversation, right, so when we first started UNITAF, we sort of all sat around the table and went, we don't want it to be easy to achieve the enlisted ranks, right? Put the NCA ranks aside because they're com calculated completely differently. You know, it's based on administration. But if you take the enlisted ranks, when we sat down and looked at MSP, for example, Master Specialist, we, we sort of put our feet up and went, right, we want it to take five years to achieve, right? It should be really difficult to achieve. Only a few people should ever really get it. You know, it's got to be something special. We don't want them to be common, certainly for the, for the top ranks, right? Along comes someone like Bex and achieves it in 11 months. And the reason that happened was because when we started, we didn't, the requirements for the rank aren't public, right? But a lot of them are statistics based, right? So we're looking at experience. And we, we would have gone, all right, so we're doing an op every week and an op's three hours. So five years would be, do the math on that. How many hours is that? And that's how we would have come up with the requirements for that rank, right? At the time, we didn't really think that people would do 35 deployments a month. Like that wasn't a computation that we, that we made. So one of the things that we want to do as part of this change is bring in another requirement for those ranks, which is... At the mo and, and disclaimer, none of this is exactly confirmed yet, so you have to wait till the sit rep, but I can give you as much information as I know we've discussed. And this third statistic will be essentially average time in unit, yeah? So how long have you been active within UNITAF? So that we have a more accurate spread of who the longest serving members are, the most dedicated ones, but actually have more rungs of the ladder, if that makes sense, which over that period of time means that people will have more promotions that they can achieve if that makes sense yeah so as james said this is not confirmed yet it's more of a uni teaser are you proud of that one Zuka? is that why you paused the applause there you go yeah uh take it with a grain of salt still all subject to change uh but it's something that's being looked at <clears throat> Um, I remember you saying something along the lines of the highest enlisted rank, like only one person can be in it, and it's sort of the, the head of the mafia. Is that something that's still uh, on the horizon, or is that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think what 
what people should expect this is relatively imminent change right so what the stuff we're talking about today or this specifically you know we're talking about the next set right which was it which is going to be within the next few weeks um but possibly i mean the the point of introducing these ranks and um changing the requirements of each rank is that we want them to to have longevity there's a little point in having a rank structure where the top of rank can be achieved within 11 months because you know we're here for the long term unitaf's going to be around for a long time and if in two years time we're just getting started in armor 4 and every single person's an msp you know sort of defeats the object there's no further progression for anyone so we're just going to look at that which you know it's short-term pain for long-term game it won't be the most popular thing we've done but we're doing it for the long term um the top rank should be rare like it should be difficult to achieve that that's certainly something that we're looking at and we in the past looked at adding a chief master specialist which yeah we said there might be a limited number of them we originally said one but the troop commander said hey we could have one per troop or whatever so we're also looking at that but the top rank will probably become that difficult to achieve that it won't really be needed to have a limit on it if that makes sense okay um i hope you're calculating this time that people will actually buy second monitors and deploy twice on the same op and uh <laughs> there will be way more ops than what we even have now which is already crazy yeah like i say i don't think we ever thought two and a half years ago that we would be sat here today with 500 deployments 500 it's like 600 deployments now isn't it um the biggest difference is we do not back to time in unit or average time in unit as an active member into a promotion at the moment it's purely based on activity right so two people that joined on the same day could get promoted at radically different dates now we, there still needs to be an element of that right if you're more active than somebody then yeah you should get promoted sooner than they do but on the flip side if it was just average time in unit then somebody could do 12 ops a year and get promoted at the same speed which we don't want that either right so we need a balance between the two um and so yeah essentially the current requirements is op hours practice hours and the new additional thing that we would add in is essentially average time in unit which would f ensure that somebody couldn't spend 20 days in specialist or 20 days in pfc for example and then get promoted beyond. How would you factor accommodations into this, perhaps? We have the Combat Operation Service Medal for XRs played. Um, could there perhaps be more of these accommodations to gain for dedication in some form without ranking up in that sense? Yeah, that's a good, good idea. Um, I think so. I think I think that's a good way of looking at it, right? Which is promotions take longer than the med like the medals to achieve, right? Because the medals can be sort of for lots of different things. We already have quite a lot of them. I think we'll probably remove some of the meme medals that we added for certain reasons, and maybe bring in some some more proactive, you know, proactive medals uh, for that. I'm not sure of the specifics of that, but it's a good idea. Oh, have, you remind me, I have to put forward Johanna's for being left behind on an attraction. <laughs> and getting shot on the head by a BTR. That sounds like a perfect reason for a, for a medal. There, there is an element of trying not to encourage people to get captured, which I do feel might be a risk if... Uh, mm. they, yeah, the crosswires one does need to get removed. That's uh, one that we've avoided awarding for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, it's just, it's funny the first two times when someone forgets something, but uh, after a while it just gets a bit tedious, didn't it? Well, um, one thing that we've not done and that mm-hmm. I am keen on doing, and, and if you think about what I've just all I've just said about promotions and, and ranks, is that we want that to be something that you know, if somebody is a specialist for, you know. That when you look at that, you go, "Wow, that's you know." Not only is that as a lot of activity, but they've been around for a long time. That's what you want to have from a from a, a rank structure, right? Um, and so medals serve a different purpose, which is you know, there's a lot of people in Unitaf that do great things. You know, like think of someone like Jasmine that doesn't necessarily get involved in administration, but does so much from like a mission support perspective, right? So making sure that we have ways and means to award those people. And some of those will be like pixelated awards. Some of them might be physical, you know, like pizza from Kevin or something like that. Um, and that's something that we'll probably do more of. I'm hoping he doesn't make the pizza and ship it over because then it's not going to be that good anymore. If it even arrives. Or it won't arrive, yeah. <laughs> um, on the topic of people like Jasmine who are way more into mission making than they are normal deployments. Uh, is there any type of like sideline progression for people that are more involved in sort of the uh, what would you call it like the mission making process, helping out with the website, SOP rewrites, and just stuff like that? Is that something that's on the horizon that isn't specifically uh, just we got a bunch of medals? Got a bunch of medals for them, I guess. Do you mean inside the realm of medals and ranks, or anything specific? Uh, I don't know, something a bit different, something that maybe shows their status as well, like as a, in a type of rank that's more of a side grade. I know here we have some grades that are like technically officers or something like that, but are more for the administra- administrative side of things. Is that yeah. something that is... Um, there's no requirement. I mean, essentially, people that... Most people that do anything join the administrative coc there are a few exceptions to that and jasmine obviously is one of them but there's nothing in essence stopping jasmine from going down that route it's not just leadership as you know and as matt actually matt and zuka two great examples of people that predominantly join the org coc for mission support and just happen to do leadership now but um same for instructing really um we'll look at i'm, I'm not sure about the rank systems not particularly conducive to that um, but we can maybe look at that long term. But there's certainly a lot of awards and citations that we issue and can issue for, for those things. And and uh, that message that Astrea put in with the specialist ranks, that's exactly what uh, I was talking about. So if people are looking at that, our current highest rank is the second one from the right. Specialist second class is technically the insignia we use for MSP. And what I was referring to was introducing all six of those. Um, as in listed ranks, um, not necessarily named the exact same, but pretty much the same as. It. Just right. on the yeah. just on the ranks as well. Before we go on, um, just to clarify a bit, so we're adding a few ranks in, but we're also changing the requirements for currently held ranks. Um, that's partly what James was referring to before about the uh, the pain. Now, some ranks will be reassigned, but. As he says, take the. Uh, I think you're exchanging um, the chance to get highest rank first, and then have all those serotonin hits at once, and then uh, 
you're a bit dry for the next uh, however long you're in the unit. So. Yeah, I think it's an important thing to raise. And again, I just reiterate what I said at the start. The details of it's not 100% confirmed yet. There's a couple of staff meetings still to take place. And maybe the sit rep will be next week, maybe the week after. I don't have an exact date, but it will be soon. Um, TM. The question is, you know, if I'm currently a specialist, what, you know, will I still be a specialist, basically? And that's a difficult question to answer. Because there's sort of two... There's two things you can do there. One is, you know, um, the average specialist um, time in unit is, I think, like 278 days. You can check. You can go to the website structure ranks and find out. And if we're putting an average time in unit um, requirement on those ranks, right, it might be that half of the specialists are no longer technically eligible for specialists. And our initial approach to that was like, well, if somebody's achieved it, then they've achieved it and they should keep that rank, right, and we shouldn't reassign them. But there is another argument there, which is if we're making these ranks mean something else. So like, I mean, take the highest rank MSP, right? If we're making that mean something completely different, it wouldn't make sense to someone that joined today who said, oh, well, if the requirement for that is, if, if you're telling me you need four years average time in unit, then how has this person done it? Because they've only been in the unit two years or whatever. So it's, it's a conversation that's ongoing, but the chances are that there will be a, an element of reassignment um, across the board, which um, is controversial. I did say it was going to be controversial, but a lot of the stuff that we do uh, at a staff level is like short-term pain for long-term gain. What we don't want is everyone to have achieved the match rank in two years' time or make it too easy. We want to make changes now so that we're not doing, you know, because anyone that's ever spoke to me about it before, and we've talked about long-term UNITAF in other podcasts, you know, when we've got the ability to deploy 500 people in a different game platform, you know, we'll probably have 500 people on roster. What we don't want to do is make big changes like that then, if we can make them now when we're relatively small in comparison to those things. And again, it's learning from history. You know, we set our current structure when we were 20 men strong and did one op every two weeks. You know, we're now almost always 100 to 120 in active force strength. And deploying 30 times a month on average you know it's a completely different ballpark yeah it's quite nice to hear that you're like planning years ahead with changes like this and putting all the gears in place to uh accommodate something like that uh and, and i'd say two other things on the ranks one is that there has been a bit of a hold on promotions in the last well, certainly in the last month which some people may have noticed um, because this review was underway and what we didn't want to do is promote someone which would put them at the very minimum requirement of a rank that may be about to change so if you're expecting a promotion that might be why you've not had it not that you've done anything wrong and i think i mentioned it before but the biggest benefit here is that we want a bigger difference between them so like there should be a really <clears> big <throat> difference between a pfc and a specialist and a big difference between a specialist and whatever follows that right almost to the point where you know, if you look at that image that Astrio put, someone who's like a master specialist has listed there, you know, that's, you know, that should be a rank that's highly respected. And you'll have people that go from that rank to the Orgsuzi or from the Orgsuzi back to that rank, you know, should they not wish to, you know, be involved in the administration. Yeah. And guys, remember, uh, since some of these will be a bit more 
on the spicy side these topics all questions you can put them in the live chat we'll uh look for them bring any of them up or if you want to have a talk on the stage we can also bring you up there for a quick chime in so to say but uh, going from promotions now to a more start of your journey in unitav type of thing we're going to look at recruitment and uh, recruit retention apparently there has been a bit of a thing on there and uh, james will elaborate in in detail so what is the problem there currently what's what's a bit of a bit of an issue that we currently have there yeah so We've got a couple of recruits in at least listed live, so this is something that, and and obviously everyone was a recruit once, right? So they, it's always good to weigh in. One of the things that we tend to be a little bit ahead on is statistics, right? So um, one of the reasons why we wanted to put this on this month's TAFCast is because last month in August we noticed a significant change or trend, shall we say, in total force strength, right? So we try and maintain a total force strength of around 100 players, right? So uh, when I say total force strength, I mean the number of unique people that meet the activity requirement in any given month, which is actually very different to our rostered size, right? So our rostered size is usually around 120. So that's how many people you see on the roster. But at any given time, some of those people are joining, some people are leaving, some people are going inactive, right? So there's a buffer between. But the important statistic is total force strength. Now, today, that's around 99. And on average, during COVID, it was between 95 and 105, right? So we're not massively away from it. But the biggest difference is, and this is something that players will have noticed, right? You know, we're churning through recruits like, nothing else you know we're bringing in something in the region of 20 to 25 a month and we're only keeping a small percentage of those now it's not innately a bad thing but what we do want to ask the question is how can we stop wasting our time churning through recruits right in an ideal world we'd only recruit five and we'd keep five that'd be a very fluffy nice world to live in um and you know we've talked about recruitment in the past on on the TAFCast, and it's not a particular problem that Unitaf has, like it doesn't have a recruitment issue. We get somewhere in the region of 35 applications a month. You know, people see how many people that we induct. Where the real issue is here is in, you know, if somebody achieves the rank of private, their chance of staying is incredibly high. Retention is very high. But below that, it's very low. And it's it's relatively a new problem that we that we're dealing with. You know, retention's not always been an issue, and we've toyed with other ideas to, um, to to work on that. So, you've had recruit ops in the past, you know, things like that. You know, we think a lot of it's got to do with, um, not so long ago we introduced a change where you know you needed tier two core infantry to basically do any other specialty, and one of the things that we advertise quite openly is that you can do whatever you want be whatever you want it's also something we talk about in the induction and that is sort of systematically true but at the same time it's statistically false because if you're interested in being a pilot you bet your bottom dollar not nomad's going to steal your pilot slot before you get there especially if you're a recruit right so we just need to be better at giving them the lowdown of how things actually work and so what we've changed in our recruitment approach is you know we're basically saying to people when they join now you know, if you don't like being a rifleman, you might as well not apply because 70% of the slots are rifleman slots. And as an ecosystem for units to function, 
you have to have people that are willing to do a few different things, right? So I'll lead if I can't lead. I'll be a medic if I can't medic. I'm happy being a rifleman. If you if you don't have multiple interests, you're leeching the system. You're not also benefiting it. If you see where I'm coming from. So if you had a batch of twenty recruits and they're all wannabe F-16 pilots and they've got nothing else to contribute, they're going to be a net leech to the unit and not not a provider. And that's one of the things that we need. Uh, yeah, you I mean, brought up recruit ops earlier, and Rizzler is picking on that on a similar point here, where um, recruits don't usually or don't don't always get to play. So, how can we provide them with more of an opportunity to play their part in our in our unit more readily? Yeah, it's an interesting one. But so, one of the things that we hear a lot is that there's no slots, but but that doesn't quite try and chew with statistics right because obviously we have statistics on tier zero slots and a lot of tier zero slots around 10 percent go vacant on day of operation so that says to me either recruits aren't interested in those slots or they're not aware that those slots are, are vacant um and I, i'm sure it's a combination of those two things what can the we other... do to make them aware that there's a slot going a lot of people are courteous enough to just ping in chat hey i'm leaving this slot Here's here's one if you wanted. Can we automate that a little? Uh, yeah, I mean we could. I think we could probably do like an automatic. Obviously, we have a, not everyone will see it, but when you were a recruit, you remember there was a channel called Recruit Chat, right, which has all of the org COC in it and just recruits. And something that NCOs do as a courtesy sometimes is if there's a slot free that's tier zero, they'll post in in Recruit Chat and say, "Hey guys, there's a slot here." Um, I think we could probably automate that. Um. At the same time, we are bringing back recruit ops as well for two reasons. Um, and we did stop them for a reason, but for two reasons that it allows ex established members to get to know newer ones where we wouldn't always necessarily do that. And it allows recruits to have better access to slots. Um, the reason why we stopped doing recruit ops was because, you know, having 70% of an orbat be someone that's not necessarily fully familiar with the SOP and or used to the way that unit functions could be detrimental, right? Um, so it is, a, it is a balance, but we do need to do a bit of both, you know? Yeah, for the new blood, would you go into a little more detail what the recruit ops are about, and for the older ones among us, what's, what might be different to the ones we did before? Well, I mean, the recruit ops essentially is an op you'll see on the deployment scheduler that says, you know, the maximum rank that you can be to join this deployment is recruit, right? It's obviously not as simple as that because um, there will be NCOs there. And generally what we do on a recruit op is, you know, it'll be like squad size, it'll be like 20 slots. And the fire team is might be uh, like specialists or PFCs that are wanting to become fire team is. And most of the other leadership positions will be NCOs. So like experienced leaders like me, like Matt um, and so on. And essentially it's an op that's just, you know, you're not, as a recruit, you're not going to compete with anyone other than recruits in getting those slots. Ah, oh, first appearance. Um, so it's just easier, you know, it's it's easier for them to get a slot they might normally not get. So designated marksman or AR or grenadier or medic. Uh, it just, you know, and we'll probably try and do them once, once a month going forward, especially because of the number of recruits we have at the moment. I think that's quite a nice way to open up this perceived like one-way gate a bit because having a high, high tier in something means you can slot into everything. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to slot into a high tier type of thing. 
Like, for example, if there's only heavy machine guns in a high tier, you might still take a rifleman or something like that. Um, is that something that's maybe like addressed for people that have a high tier in something to, I don't know, kind of be discouraged and take in one of the lower tier slots? Or is that, it, it goes a bit against the philo maybe philosophy, a isn't it? But it's kind of it's kind of against yeah this against the idea of you should be able to do what you want really like we want to want to like us, a lot of other units force you into a role and if you qualify for the next role you've got to then stick in that role I don't think that's the um, spirit that we go for yeah no I, and I think most established members those that PFC and beyond you know, they understand the system and they know how to how to work to their advantage you know um, and that's why retention is high. The problem with recruits is they've either got no experience or they're comparing it to some other system. You know, I would always fully defend with dynamic orbats. I think it's a great way of, you know, deploy one you when you want, with who you want, and in what role you want, within reason, obviously, supply and demand. Um, but it, its downside is that thing that's the primary bonus of a fixed orbat system, which is, you know, you're always guaranteed a slot, um, which is not the case here. And remember, I always say, you know, Unitaf is a platform. We provide events. You know, you're not always going to be able to get on them, but there's nothing stopping you know playing elsewhere to fulfill your um your urge. You know, if you if you really need to. But you know, fatigue was introduced to counter the sort of. You know, there are some members that still are deploying 20 times a month, so there are slots, and these people are are penalised essentially. You know, if anyone's doing more than eight deployments a month, they're getting net penalised by fatigue. And if you're doing less than eight deployments a month, you're getting net. You're a net beneficiary of fatigue, right? Because you don't have as much as they do. Um, and recruits, by default, on their first day as a recruit, have no fatigue at all. But a lot of it is, is education, right? They're not aware of how competitive it is. And when we say to them in the induction, it's like an eBay auction. We really do mean it's like an eBay auction. And a lot of the time, you know, they're not used to setting an alarm for all bat releases and things like that. And so there's probably tools we can add. To help with that um but increasing the supply for recruits is another thing that we'll do as well um retention of recruits is important right we need recruits to come through the system become privates because they're the future um and it's important you know that we do that um so, so expect to see you know we've gone through phases I guess anyone that listened to the first half cast will know you know at one point we were just saying we've got too many recruits let's start pissing them off so they leave um we go through these phases of of lots of different things it's usually data led um but the overarching message is that there is definitely a 50% element of we've got some really really great assets to the unit here but they might leave if we don't fulfill something that we we need to understand better what their plights are and and design the system around them and improve the experience at that level and there's another 50% where we think, you know, they're probably great people, but they're probably not a good fit for the unit. You know, they they just want to be a marksman or they just want to be a pilot. There's no compromise. And they're the ones where maybe we need to find out who they are earlier in the process and just make them aware that it's probably going to be a waste of their time and ours. We've uh, got Vincent a few... from chat. Sorry, yeah. Africa. We've got Vincent a few great... picking up on the I'm learner plate slot and is... Saying that that might that it might be nice to see more of those. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's something that we could do. Is that the one from Vincent? Mm -hmm. Yes. Cool, Vincent. It's, it's something that we could do relatively easily at the moment. <coughs> the number of L plate slots is limited um, via a system setting, right? So a field leader can can 
um, essentially convert a slot to a learner slot based on one slot per 20 slots, right? So on a 60-person orbit, you'll see, you know, maximum three three L-plate slots. The reason why it's not six, for example, is it's it's low enough to to help recruits and it's not high enough to piss off everyone else. Because if you imagine that, you know, you're a tier three marksman and every single marksman shot's an L-plate slot, that's going to annoy both sets of people, right? So the long-term answer to your question, and when I say long-term, I'd like to say before the end of this year, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, is this qualification system. So our current tier system is an experience-based system. It relies on you having hours of experience within UNITAF with our procedures in that role. But what it doesn't do is calculate your capability, right? So say if Vincent's actually a really good marksman, let's say hypothetically better than every marksman in UNITAF, but he's tier zero and our marksman are tier two, three, four. Um, it's not calculating for that, right? So when we introduce our qualification system, it will also allow you to up tier based on being qualified as well as having the tier. And if you look at one of the previous SITREPs, it goes into this in detail, but basically you can be tier one, two, three, four, five, and then you can be tier one qualified, tier two qualified, tier three qualified, tier four qualified, tier four, and so on. So if you're qualified as a designated marksman, but you're tier one, you get treated the same, if not better, than someone that's tier three that doesn't have the qualification. Don't hinge too much on the exact specifics of what I said, because that might not be exactly how it works. But I can put it up, or it's in a previous sit rep, where it basically tells you what the order of precedence is based on being qualified. So it will really help with newer people that are really good at something to get slot and or compete with those that have just the tier. If you've already got the tier and you go and get the qualification, it's gonna you're you're still gonna be at the top of the list, so don't worry about that. But if you've already got the tier and you don't bother doing the qualification, then you're you know you're gonna be at a disadvantage. I think something worth looking at is also that something else Vincent also mentioned in his uh, comment there is that for a recruit it might seem a little bit limited in what they're allowed to do in only core infantry roles and with a lot of uh, the learner slots being taken by people who might be a bit overqualified for that role. I'm doing air quotations here. So even though it's a learner slot, they might still be tier two in that specific area. Um, so maybe given preference to someone who's uh, like a, a legit learner in that slot instead of someone being tier two and thinking, oh, there's a slot there. It, it might be a, a learner slot, but I'll still take it because I really want that slot. Is that something that can also be taken into consideration? Because when look, making an RBAT and making those slots learner slots, you should be expecting that that person isn't going to be doing a pinpoint landing with a, a heli in the middle of the jungle or just things like that. Not, they're not going to be challenged to the fullest of what we expect from a tier five in that. Or a tier well, four I feel leader. That. I feel leader usually takes that into account when they designate which is going to be a learner slot. Um, so, so that's that. But um, can tier twos slot into Hellblade? No. Yeah, I don't think so. No, they can't. So, learner slots is uh, tier one, uh, tier zero only, and any yeah. number of hours tier zero only. Um, and after twenty four hours, if nobody's claimed it, it goes back to a normal slot. Right. Yeah. Uh, forget that one a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. That's already basically. in place. Oh, okay. 
yeah uh, if anyone's interested this if if you can look at any orbat and on the left there'll be that black button that says slot allocation policy and the full rundown of well but basically all slot allocation but including l l plate slots is in that uh policy uh, another comment from Nico is for recruit ops, having the mission support side of that recruit op also being a bit more of a learner thingy. So, for example, bringing in a new, uh, a new mission maker or uh, bringing in new people that want to get into that type of uh, area could also be a good idea. And just to quickly interject here, we've, or uh, me and Dongworth, predominantly as I know, have been doing a lot of. Uh, trying to get people to make their own missions and guiding them along the process from the planning phase to the actual execution of their first mission with the system we have in place with all the back and forth checks we do with all the uh, mission, mission file specific things we do. So bringing something like that into recruit up uh, sounds like a good idea, I think. Is that something that's also being thought of or being looked at, maybe. I think I think the point of recruit ops is it's by recruits for recruits, right? Um, so yeah, should should certainly be a factor, but at the same time, it's just still unitaf, right? We still have high <laughs> standards, and you, you don't want it to be a recruit op that's not a unitaf op. So there's got to be a balance of both things. But I would have thought when we there will be one next week, and I'd like to think that the field is for it. You know, we'll. Um, speak to the recruits in in recruit chat and say look you know we're looking for some leaders maybe maybe we're looking for some you know we don't traditionally let recruits do any type of leadership um in in our normal ops um but also on the mission support side so it still needs to be you know a unitaf op so that because that's ultimately what the recruits are here for but with just a higher percentage of recruits in these roles where maybe they wouldn't normally get the opportunity to do them and i suppose the other thing to talk about here is this is maybe a wider picture of where we're going right so if you you look at what we're doing with jftlcos and we're bringing that down to around 18 or 19 percent now we're not just sacking people left right and center we're just sort of waiting until natural attrition takes its course people on board and one of the reasons why we're doing that is so that you know, people that want to lead but that can't be involved in the administration side of UNITAF have slots available. And you'll see it's going to be a lot more common for PFCs, specialists, so on, to junior team lead, maybe even more than that down the road. And that's where you'll really see that qualification system that I talk about come in because there'll be people that are not in the COC that choose not to be, that maybe are specialists or whatever, that like to lead frequently and they're qualified to do so and they are free to take those positions. So that's something that you'll see being a bit more common. Um, and obviously that's not a bad thing. Um, and so you go back to the whole purpose behind the dynamic combat system, right? It's to put the most capable slash experienced people in all slots that are available on that day, right? And so that's what our focus always is. And, you know, at the moment the system works for experience, but it doesn't work for capability. And that, that's where we'll be making some changes, not in the next era, but certainly I would hope to say by the end of the year. Yeah, that's a very good argument on a mission kind of losing uh, its state of as a as a unitav mission if everybody is doing it for the first time or is 
uh, also still learning. Uh, good argument there. I've just found the mm -hmm. set rep about um, the person that was asking about the question about the qualified system. I found it. It's in set rep 10. I'll post the link and there's the image. Um, I know this wasn't really the topic of this Toughcast, but for those that are interested. So basically, the qualification is not like a like a test. It's basically has an NCO marked you as um, competent in all the SOPs related to that role. So the qualification is not tier qualification, it's a role qualification. So you could essentially be a qualified fire team, for example. So what it's saying there is this is the order of succession. So it, the first priority for people slotting is if you've got the tier that's required. So let's say fire team, I think it's tier two, isn't it? And are you qualified? Right, you're first on the list. If Even if you've not got the tier, so if you're one tier below and you've got the qualification, you're second. So that's the biggest change. If you remember before, um, it would have been different. You would have needed the tier. So you can see where having it versus not having it makes a difference. And that's where, for for example, recruits and newer people will get a real benefit from, from that change. Something else <clears throat> as well is I've personally noticed that a few uh, or a lot of people would like to take FTX slots or uh, attend FTXs in a specific area they're uh, confident in or they want to learn more in. But it's just that the demand spread over so many areas makes it kind of hard for uh, everyone to be, I guess, satiated in uh, that type of area they would want an FTX in. Uh, is something like being able to gain FTX hours without having an entire FTX setup or just having a one-on-one -on -one in, a, in a voice chat, something that you think would be beneficial in in, in those FTX hours type of uh, demands. I think where we're going to go with that is that you can, per role, you can be three things, unqualified, qualified, or an instructor. So take any given role, say you as a game master, you're either mm -hmm. unqualified and you've got the tier, or you're qualified or you're an instructor. So if we've got the ability for non-NCOs to... Um, <laughs> Love it. If we've got the ability as non-NCOs to say this person's an instructor, even though they're not an NCO in this subject, because they're genuinely better than maybe all of our NCOs, then, uh, then yeah, they should be able to do the instruction, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or with a group. And, so you, would go, uh, you would go ahead and somebody who's interested in doing an FTX because they've heard that there's a requirement there's a, that there's a want for this, let's say marksmanship, um, they're a private, they've they might not even have tiers or FTXRs in that field, but they got qualified through our qualification system. They can feasibly be be the instructor. I mean, I'll try and say yes without saying exactly yes, because I uh -huh. try not to make commitments that have uh, <laughs> to be false. But in in a in the shortest possible way, yeah. I mean, I think if if we're going down a lesson plan route, right, where every FTX has a lesson plan. So if someone's shown the ability to execute that lesson plan effectively, then I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to instruct that that topic. Yeah, uh, there's, or what I've seen, there's a lot of work being done on making all of these FTXs into standardized lesson plans. I think it's White Wolf Johannes and a few others I might not be re uh, remembering here that have put in a gargantuan amount of work porting, porting all of these uh, basically 
scribble notes that we've made as lesson plans and putting them into more organized and uh, well-structured like one-pagers that would allow uh, a lot of people to make a well-structured informative and uh, like grounded in, in SOP and everything uh, FTX so I think that's something that should ease the whole FTX uh, what should we call it? F, like uh... well, something something we see yeah. a lot in feedback from FTX is, is that they vary, and you know you can go to the same FTX topic two different people, and they can vary, right? And in the nicest possible way, we want to standardize standardize that, right? So if you go to the same FTX, so the same, you know, it's called the same thing. It's the same course. It should be exactly the same, albeit with slightly worse or better jokes, depending on who's instructing it uh -huh. and you know it should be roughly the same so yeah and and this is the work of the the stags that that we set up and the the troop sergeants um dung Koreans, um really bad i just forgot the name of the fit johannes no, the troop sergeants johannes there you go um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always gonna be I'm getting late i'm on the run <laughs> Um, uh, the, you know, they said to us a couple of months ago that we're completely, uh, we've not got enough to do, and we're more than happy to to give more work to people. So th they each have a, an area now, and the stag one, two, three. Um, one is the re recruit retention, which Korean is dealing with, which you'll see Korean do a lot with um, with intakes and stuff. So he he's commanding that, and Johannes is on the lesson plans, which is stag two, and then third is Dung, doing a lot with the campaigns and operations. So. That's simply the result of, of, of those aims and objectives, and everyone's doing a great job of um, steering that. Have we had any more questions? Yeah, there was uh, one about 10 minutes yeah. ago from Maya, who's asking, how do we encourage new recruits to go into tiers that are required more than other slots? Uh, for example, slots that aren't taken, but might be low in numbers. Is I supposing that's aiming at how we're getting recruits to sort into core infantry instead of all the other juicy ones? Or please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that's what he's wanting to ask here. And he's typing. Let's give him a sec. Well, I'd argue in my PR voice that uh, infantry is juicy. Um, there is, it's we safe. do have a generic um, sort of demand supply thing in the role center. It's one of the reasons actually why we ask people on a monthly basis to update their um, their role preferences. But I think maybe what we're talking about, that needs to be filled on. I mean, yeah, if you take like, if you take cavalry, really, cavalry's one that there's a lot of slots, but they don't always get filled. And there might be a lot of recruits that want to take those slots and they can't because of the system. but if you look at CAV, we've got stats on this, but CAV is one of those ones, certainly very recently, where uh, it's quite difficult to fill. Um, recruits listening should just know that if you see empty slots like that, certainly on the day of the op, just message the field leader. The chance of you getting it is incredibly high. And is that perhaps something we can pose to the, as a question to the room? Um, how happy are we with that restriction for recruits to not be able to slot on their own whims? into slots like cavalry? Well, it's, it's a unit-wide thing on all areas, isn't it? You have to have done a base level of competency before you can slot. Um, the, que the question as to whether, you know, if you look at that in reality, right, 
that that requirement generally goes out the window if it's three hours before the op and we really need a driver you know we'll we'll lower our standards in that circumstance um i think the qualification system will help a lot with that because there'll be people that are you know more than capable of doing those things they just don't have the requirements so that will go a little bit over the way but there may be something that we can do with the orbat system so that if it is close to an op like that that it it says you know what i've lost it i can't get anyone to take the slot do you want it um but when we do stuff like that we need to be really careful right because we don't want the system to be game uh or exploited in any way and there are already some exploits with the orbat system that we're working on fixing uh namely you know reserving a slot for someone else because you don't have the fatigue or you've got the tier and then you know vacating it so that they can swap in i mean we we consider that an exploit and and they're the sort of things that we will work to fix yeah let's uh, not talk too much in depth about how these exploits are uh, to be abused <laughs> but yeah that's basically the gist of it uh just as a last thing for me here is something like people having to read the sop that's on the website instead of attending an ftx to get their learner slot or to be able to like count as qualified air quotations again something that could be looked at because again there is a lot of demand for time in specific areas or practice hours in specific areas that we as the RCOC, we can't put out five cav ftxs every week or we can't put one out every week because um, you also have to vary it up a bit is that something that's that you think would be worth it because i mean it's still something different having attended an ftx and having red sop which in some cases is a bit uh dated i'd say i think it i think we'd go more down the line of you know um there's two driver slots on an orbat on a sunday uh, nobody's taking it two recruits a game for it we would take the vehicle section commander and say to them right these two guys are up for it meet them on the server a little bit early and just run them through what you expect from them so that you know they're going to fulfill that role as you need it and then a process of reviewing that afterwards a lot of our qualification system is not going to be boring people by making them attend these sessions it's merely going to be an operation focused thing where somebody that is qualified in that area or, or is deemed to be an instructor can say to a pilot after an op oh, you did great at this you need to work on this not even in a punitive way just generally so that our pilots become better pilots and our riflemen become better riflemen our leaders become better leaders um, and a way of tracking that in a way that's going to help a the player but b out the unit as well so um yeah it's a simple answer uh, Maya's brought on something again about the how we need the driver ping. Um, just suggesting we have a based on role preferences. So when you take the box on the website, hey, I would like to be cavalry. I like doing cavalry. That when the orbat is locked and we have these slots open, that the people interested in that common area get a specific ping. Could that be a thing we can use? So we turn the data set that we have into an opportunity for other people to do what they want. I think it's a good idea because we have generic automated group ping. So you'll often get a ping to everyone just telling you there's an orbat. But the other one you'll get is if you're not on an orbat, certainly on the bigger ops, you'll get a, a, a unique ping to you that says you're not on this orbat. But because mm -hmm. we're able to do that, we can do that for basically anything. We could have um we could have it so that yeah, if you've if you've got a preference in the role center if an orbat locks and that slot's free that it pings you and says hey i've got a slot 
for this combat area and i see that you've got it turned on so yeah whoever suggestion that was if you question mark suggest that in discord so it goes into suggestions list that that probably be something we can introduce pretty quickly um and i know this is going to come across really badly but i uh, i very rarely slot using the all map because most of my ops that i go to you know i'm usually a platoon leader or a field leader right so it, the slotting process is different right uh, the other day I was wanting to get a uh, flying slot for an op, um, the, the the one on Typhoon with the, the pilot thing. And one of the things I didn't just didn't realize how difficult it was, was like when you're waiting for a one up or two up, like calculating what time you've got to be online and, and, and making sure you don't forget. And I found that quite a difficult thing to, to do. So I, I only had the idea then to maybe have an ability to mark yourself as you know, please notify me of one ups and two ups on this orbat, so that the system, when it you know it does that ping that says you know one ups are now open on this orbat, is it if anyone's turned on notifications for it, it also mentions them in that ping so, so that they get notified. I mean that would certainly help me in circumstances when I'm, uh, you know, trying to to slot on something. So, you know, there's either a one up or a two up. Yeah, so I... probably something that we'll add in the next update. I can feel that. I think at least 90% of my slots have either been uh, pre-slotted or sort of handed down to me with mission support or field leadership. So yeah, uh, slot race is still very much a thing. Right, so let's finish up the whole recruitment section here. Again, if you have any more questions, suggestions, put them in the live chat. We'll get to them when we see them. I was going to say, it'd definitely be good to hear from from other recruits, if, uh, if there's any recruits actually in live, that they're the people that we re realistically want to hear from. Um, just while we're, before we go into the next topic, there's a couple of other <laughs> things that I just completely neglected that will probably be in the next sit rep. It might be worth just spinning it through before we go on to the, that major topic. Um, so the one that will probably be most interesting to most people is the, and I've not briefed these guys on it, right? So feel free to probe questions. So we talked a bit about master after action reports before. This will be the biggest change to after action reports since we started. Um, when we when you when I refer to master after action reports, what we mean is we're going to add a new system that intercepts um, the end of the last after action report for a deployment. Because whilst the leadership of a deployment can see the after-action reports, and certainly it's something that I do is tend to review as many after-action reports as I can. But I confess, you know, a year ago, I might have read every single one. Now there's so many of them, you know, I don't, don't realistically, I'm not able to read every single after-action report. And recently we added a, a flagging system so that AARs can be flagged for follow-up, you know, to sort of solve that problem. The master after-action report is like a nuclear launch system where when an orbat closes you know the last all the attributes will receive field leader and the io get a, a notification to say you know everything is now complete this operation is ready to be closed out and essentially in isolation they review all the aars and then they they write a public facing aar what we want that to do is to tell people what went well and what didn't go well and what not from their opinion but what was the overarching feedback from after action reports right so that as members in totality, we can look at uh, an after-action report, not only see the eight independent metrics, but see the written public-facing, you know, it's not going to have people's names in it. It's going to be relatively broad. We, we're not, you know, praising public, correcting private and all that. But it will tell the members that we've understood what you said about um, 
artillery being too too much in one case or the fps being bad so people can genuinely see that the summary of all the attraction reports has been taken on board something that's most of you all know that already because i think it's previous tafcast but one of the newer changes to that which we've discussed in a most recent meeting is that we may also change the way that mvps are elected um, during that process now mvps are elected automatically using a formula um, when the last after action report is submitted but bearing in mind we're going to interject that process now we think we're also going to change the mvp nomination process some of the feedback on mvps has been that you know it's it is a little bit of a popularity contest and it, and your role is a massive um, part of whether you're going to become an mvp or not now if you're a medic or a fire team leader your chances are going to be a hell of a lot higher than somebody else so what where we're at with that is we think that we're going to ask people to provide specific comments when they nominate an mvp right so when you choose bex as an mvp for running me over it will pop up a new box that says you know why do you want to nominate this person as mvp and then what we're going to do is we're going to show the reviewing officers you know when they're filling out the mar the master after action report anonymous comments so it will say it won't tell them who the person that's been nominated is, but it will group all the comments together. So it'll say, you know, you've got four votes for this person, and these are all the reasons for that person. And they will select the MVP based on the comments. So essentially what we're trying to achieve with this is even if someone's got seven votes, if it's a meme vote for that person, if the next person that would have historically not got the MVP is, um, you know, they've got some really long comments and they've done something truly exceptional, but only was only noted by three people, is that they've still got the option to nominate and select that person as the MVP on uh, over and above the, the popularity vote, if that makes sense. So that is something that we're looking at. It's not necessarily exactly how it's going to work, but it's something that we're going to look at on the um, on the update with uh, Master After Action Reports, which I don't think will be in this next sitrep, probably in the sitrep in, in November. So you're thinking something along the lines of being able to take some boxes like nominating someone or nominating like one or two people maybe because we're already spreading it out a bit, a bit more than being able to take a box like uh, helped out in a really tight situation or uh, really went above and beyond the call, showed exceptional skills and things like that, correct? Yeah, and it's also something that we can use for commendations, right? So we can use those comments, those nominations to pro um, provoke medal issue and uh you know if someone's done something really exceptional and they get mvp or maybe they don't get mvp we've got a way of forwarding that and saying hey this is this is worthy of note yeah it sounds very similar to post-game commendations in games like overwatch and league of legends i've never played either of those so uh can't, can't you just relate. basically click a button on uh, one of your teammates for three different like, options or something for them to give them commendations and stuff. Yeah. Like was very nice, did the did really good. Yeah, yeah. And, good teamwork or something. Yeah, didn't talk shit in chat, basically. <laughs> in, in, in the case of League. Uh right. Let's head on to the next topic, which is more of a lighthearted one, and that is the expansion of Unit Have or a proposed one for, uh, from branching out from one game into multiple <clears throat> games like for example dcs or something else that we can use the structure we already have to organize and schedule games 
if I got you correctly there, James. Yeah, I, I don't know how publicly we've talked about this in the past, but I, I felt it was a really good topic for today's podcast because a lot of the stuff we talked about at the start is long-term changes for future. But what we have done is we've talked about Armour 4 and what that might look like in, in a previous podcast. And to recap on that, essentially the goal, what, what I really want to achieve here is to have a system where when we can have 500 people on a Sunday, that we can. And that's going to be wildly different. You know, it's going to be maps are going to be like the size of countries and things like that. But, you know, that's inevitable that that's going to be a thing in the future, right? We're just limited by technology. The biggest, you know, I meet with the staff all the time. In the ironic sense, 90% of the issues that we're dealing with are due to the fact that we're playing a 12-year-old game. You know, we can't do the things we want to do, the FPS, this, that. A lot of the issues that we have to deal with and work around are related to the age of the platform that we're playing on now you know we're not we are you know obviously an armor 3 unit that, that's what we do but uh, in a wider sense unit is a platform to serve people that are interested in military simulation right so what what we will start to do and we're starting to look at is how can we use everything that we've built for armor 3 and apply the full weight of the unit to other platforms um now, we've not done this in the past because my attitude has always been, but if we were to, and you take PvP and armor, right? We, we looked at it briefly and we talked about Friday Night Fights, so and my attitude to that is, look, we're good at what we do, and so let's just stick to what we're good at. And, you know, if you want to play PvP, you go play with FNF. It's going to be better than what it is if we decided to do it. That makes sense. Um, and that's still my attitude, but what we're really talking about here is if we were going to dedicate ourselves to multiple platforms, then obviously we would apply the same high standards to every single one of them. Um, but if it's easier to explain it like this, in five years' time, Unitaf might have, let's say, 700 people on the active force, and that might be split to 50 people that just won't let go of Armour 3 and are still playing that, um, four, 500 that are playing Armour 4, or some other game that succeeded it that has the ability and the technology to, to do much larger scale deployments than we do now. And that, that we benefit from UNITAS organizational structure to, to in order to be able to do that probably much more easily than, than other uh, units may be able to do. And maybe DCS, you know, maybe there's 150 people that, that are playing DCS, you know, 20 plane flights and, and executing these sort of large scale things. And we might be able to tie that together some way in the campaign center. So, you know, how would that look? You know, that would be, you know, maybe you play Armour 3 now, but you are interested in DCS and that your activity requirement as a member comes from either one of those things. And the reason why this is a topic that we want to talk about is because units have not built for multi-platform. The same as we sort of said at the start, our ranks were set up based on us doing one deployment a week and we do 30 a month. The same is sort of true of everything else. We built everything based on a single platform. We've never considered showing you the op center where you can filter by game. So why this is important is because at some point in the future, we're going to be running Armour 2 and Armour... Sorry, Armour Armor 2. That's official. Uh, Armour 3 and Armour 4 sessions like alongside each other. So we need a way of telling people that oh, that's an Armour 3 session and that's an Armour 4 session. So we've obviously got a lot of work to do. What we don't want to do is wait till our Armour 4s announced or whatever game those armor might not even be by bis to make those changes we want to make those changes now 
um, and start to introduce those. And it feels like DCS might be the, the best candidate to do that. Um, and obviously, this is outside of, and I know you'll probably ask this later, Zuka, but this is outside of us generally supporting, not not with as much weight, but but providing tools for players to rally around other games that they want to play in their spare time. Yeah, uh, I think a short-term solution to even just this would be a nice rally system, like, for example, what people already do with the game pings. Uh, I'm always gutted when I see someone pinging Tarkov at midday while I'm at work and just thinking, oh, I could really go for a round right now, but, well, real real life commitments and, and you know what. But then just being able to do a sort of a RSVP uh, to like, sign up to a specific game, you make make a date, make a time, Friday night, 8 p.m., we're going to play Tarkov together and about this many slots. I think that's something that could reasonably implement it, correct? We mentioned this in an NCO meeting, didn't we, James, I think? Yeah, that's coming. It's on the roadmap. I'm pretty sure it's in. If you look on the roadmap, you'll see it. But the important distinction to make is, yes, scheduling for other games, a bit like the Discord pings, yes. But that doesn't contribute to your activity requirement for the unit. So like, if you just rocked around and responded to war game pings, you know, that's not going to help you if you're not playing the Armor 3, which is the main platform. And if you don't play it, that gets you booted out. because, And, and that's really what is a distinction for UNICEF because we're, we're only here to serve the active force. And so if you're, if you're no longer interested in the primary aim of the unit, then we're not there to serve those people anymore. So there's a big distinction between that. Yes, definitely we're going to do that to help support the games that are in addition to everything else we do. But when I talk about DCS and Armour 4, I'm talking about games that we throw our full weight behind. And whenever you attend those sessions, that is your activity requirement. Um, so it could be that you know in two years' time you've got people that are that never play armor that are you know members, and you know because they play DCS or you've got some people playing armor three, some people playing armor four. So these would be games that you would go to the upcoming upcoming deployments page for to filter out. Hey, I want to play some DCS. What are the upcoming deployments to get that fix in? And that would count to your tiers to your deployment hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's a filter, or maybe that's something in your account settings where you just say, I don't want to see anything other than this game. Or maybe it's a filter thing. But the, the key thing here is right, any expansion of this nature can't affect our current um, thing, right? So increasing a number of DCS deployments, for example, can't decrease the number of Armour 3 deployments. You know, we don't want, to, we don't want conflict of interest. Um, but if we did launch it and a number, let's say 10 members of Armour 3 said, you know what, we'll, we'll put all of our time into DCS and we're not, you know, stand down on the Armour 3 front, that wouldn't be necessarily counterproductive at that point because it's an investment for, you know, the future. The argument here is that any game we would choose would be of similar characteristics, right? So mission, mission editors, uh, the ability to, to, to make missions and edit them, uh, military simulation, whatever it may be. So Players that are interested in armor might be interested in DCS, and players that are interested in DCS will probably be interested in armor, if that makes sense. So there's always going to be a crossover. It's not going to be that you wake up tomorrow and suddenly Minecraft is a fully supported game and we're building villages, for example. You know we'd have at least two people who would want that. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, but again, that, that, that's where it falls under non-supported games, but, but better support for organization which you know we can do for active members rather than just sending in a ping as Zuka said give you the ability to say you know what 
I fancy to I fancy pinging people on this, but I don't want to do it till Friday at seven PM and therefore I'm gonna put this little thing through the website and it'll tell people that you wanna do it at that time on that day, for example. Yeah, so because it, how it always the... seems that the public channels in here, like free for free channels, always have like a group eater playing. At the moment I think it's Valheim or things like Satisfactory and Parkov of course, always a mainstay. And instead of having that go ebb and flow a bit, having that organized and more people being able to join in is sounds really good. So how would that work out on a more overarching level where would a DCS deployment affect what's happening in a campaign as a tie-in? And would everything that we do in all the games combined affect a, a unit have cinematic universe, as it were? You see you again. I think, I think it's a possibility, right? So, if I say if, I mean, I mean, we're basically planning on it at this point. So, when DCS becomes uh, at the point where we say, right, that that's now launched and that's a division, maybe it has its own troop, and we decide that administratively we're going to segregate those people, but um, they might just be on Operation Enduring Freedom. Like they don't necessarily need to have the, you know, what you've got to remember is anything that we're putting our full weight behind is going to have everything that we have now. It's going to have tiers, it's going to have ranks, it's going to have campaigns, it's going to have operations. So, you know, if it's if it's DCS and it's Operation Enduring Freedom, then if you bomb a civilian, then it's going to have an impact on the civilian impact rating for that campaign in, in any other deployment in that operation. So I would just simply say operations can, can be of any platform. And so can campaigns. So I don't see any reason why you couldn't make one thing affect the other. And we've joked in the past about, you know, truck simulator and flying simulators doing the logistics for campaigns. And we're only half joking about that. I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't introduce those games specifically because they're not combat orientated. But say Armour 4 did have that ability, then why couldn't we have a server where someone could log in, fly a C-17 with some supplies on it, 3,000 kilometers, if that's what the game provides, with two fighters in escort and have that as part of our logistics arm of the campaign center. Like, these are all things that aren't really possible at the moment, but figure probably will be possible in the future. But equally, on the more short term side, um, for DCS, you could probably have deployment we, for Operation Typhoon, for that Typhoon as a campaign. We don't have Sarani in DCS, but we could probably. Um, have an IL-76 from Georgia, Russia, somewhere that corner of the Earth. Um, let's have it intercepted. And if we do intercept the IL-76, we will have fewer mechanized units in the next Typhoon deployment to face. Yeah, I think that'd be something that'd be easy to do. I mean, think about how we've campaigns are structured now with the campaign managers. Um, something like Aisha has a lot of anti-air. Um, and you could make a mission in armor where the role is to go and take the anti-air out, and that would make the DCS op easier. But you could also do that on the flip side, like maybe it's artillery, and in DCS you go and take the artillery out, and that makes the ground offensive easier. And this can just be tied together by the by the game masters and by the campaign manager. I think a problem there is as well, and that's just something I've personally noticed, is that a lot of people besides the people that were on that like site deployment or pre-deployment to, for example, a, a small SF op in front of a big Sunday op where they take out a few key parts, is that the people who have only been on that Sunday op 
don't really notice this because yes, there's like a bit of a visual indicator that that has happened or a bit of a lore at the start with the briefing. But it just always seems a little bit to me that it's still kind of on the sidelines and it isn't really having the impact we sometimes wish it would. Are you suggesting an actual lawmaster role who does news reports that we push every other week or something? Hey, it's what happened, and this is how, the, how it's affecting the campaigns. I would love some type of a uni gazette or whatever you yeah. end up calling it. I think. Uh, I, I think this. You know, we've introduced some. Uh, the last set specifically had in, introduction of features for the campaign center, and there's more to come, like the, the role player profiles. And obviously, the the thing is, this year we're dealing with. COVID essentially ending, which I, I will say is a very good thing, but for Unitaf is a bit of a net bad thing because, you know, there's a lot less time to, to work on things. Um, but, you know, when more of this stuff's introduced, like one of the biggest things that I'll have, I'll have a net impact on how people use the Intel is when we're tracking reputation rating. So like what the civ rep is, you know, when that's publicly viewable, like that the civilians hate you on enduring freedom so on and so forth these things will have a massive impact on how people if you look at how like um lib uh, is it liberation you how like liberation yeah, yeah. works when you can see like the reputation and the and the risk level and stuff these things will have a big impact on how we operate i think we have to introduce those before people really really take that sort of stuff seriously yeah, Nico's bringing up that we might want to implement this as a summary in the master AARs. Here's what happened. Here's how, well, perhaps not with a conclusion right tacked on, but if you've run over a civilian during Parable, and we don't have to wait for the next Parable to be told that this was a bad idea, we have it right there a day later in the master AAR. I think um, how I'd implement that, and, and to some extent, Nico, it's already planned, is in the master after action report, it would ask the IO to say, right, these are the three factions that the campaign center says exist. So like take injury and freedom, it'll say um, it's the Afghan national army, the Afghan national police and the civilian population. So it will list them and it will say, right to the, to the game master, it will say how many of each of those factions was injured or killed by us. So, you know, blah, 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 right. Okay. Three, three civilian casualties, two deaths, and then whatever you put in those boxes when you submit the MAR will will impact the automatically impact the reputation rating and to some extent the success of the campaign. And I look forward to tracking each field leader independently how many casualties they're on cut. <laughs> oh, please don't make me count every enemy you've killed. That would just be <laughs> Herculean task, but yeah, <laughs> that all sounds very exciting and uh, good for things to come. Um, I'm very excited to have a more complete and consistent picture of campaigns going forward and through every single deployment we do. I'd, I'd, have... I'd really love something again, type of lore master that just uh, does all of this stuff. Just brings the UCU together, really. <laughs> I kind of need to trademark UCU, you know. What? Well, I mean, even Unitaf isn't isn't trademarked. If you Google it, it's some yeah. <laughs> shady York. 
or shady PMCs. Uh, something. My favorite fact about UNITAF is still if you Google the the Unified Task Force, which is the actual, um, I think it was a UN joint task force in Somalia, is that Google thinks our logo is their logo. Yeah. <laughs> So, so when you search it, it puts the. Oh, I mean, our logo is literally made by us, but it it puts our patch on their on their profile. And also, if you take the measuring tool to the to the logo, you'll see that's not quite centered. Just uh, yeah, not like, oh, <laughs> uh, uh, someone's found it. <laughs> something along the lines of people, well, not necessarily gaining tears, but gaining. Like having a track record of how much they've played different games. So let's say, for example, someone is uh, has been playing a lot of DCS in, in in the system that we would implement. Is having a tier system there? Like for example, again, he's tier free in in DCS or something like that. Just shows how much he has played it. And again, uh, reflecting a bit of uh, of the, of the experience he has with it. Is that something that's implementable i mean i guess it would also lead up to yeah it's a good idea i didn't didn't really think about it um a lot of this stuff i mean you think about a lot of the stuff that unitaf does you know when you join as a member you think oh wow this is amazing they thought of everything it's not really how it works i mean even things like fatigue system whether you like it or not i mean they were never really considered at the start these are systems you've introduced over time i think when we go multi-platform and we've got two or three games running relatively successfully, it will be quite common for people to move between those. And therefore, we'll probably introduce, uh, whether we call it a tier or what, some sort of way of denoting how much time that person spent in each of those platforms. A bit like what happens with, with roles now. But in a multi-platform environment, um, your rank would be global. I mean, think back to what we said at the start of this tasked about ranks and the changes we want to bring to them and, and reassigning people. The rank is 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 you your place in the unit, right? So irrespective of what platform you play, at the moment we all play the same platform. But you know, in a future environment, people will play lots of different platforms, and so that's your your place in the unit. How long you've been here, and how how involved you've been, and that's your reward for that. Um, and whereas your tier is a, a is a denotation of experience within a specific platform, right? So tiers would be unique to each platform. So you could be Tier four, five, six, seven, eight in in armor roles, but DCS you might tier zero. So um, they'll be different per per game. But that's a nice idea of within those games itself having a general overall global level of experience. I'm sure we can achieve that. DCS will probably also spur the development of the qualification system because airframes are so vastly different, or potentially vastly different. That you might want to have a rating per airframe. I certainly can't fly the F-16 or an SU-33, and I well, might we, only I be qualified anyway, for an F-18. Yeah, you know, in armor with, with qualifications um, and the qualification system, I think we probably will have a tight rating, and that the role will be fixed-wing pilot F-16, for example, so that we mm-hmm. can essentially track people. It's great that someone might be tier two in fixed wing, but if you've never flown the aircraft in which you're slotting, that kind of defeats the object of the thing, doesn't it? So I think you'll probably see that anyway. Um, but this is why you know we wanted to talk about this. You know, 
we're we're essentially preparing for armor 4 by by introducing some other platform in the meantime call it dcs uh, which will allow us to develop the systems we need to develop and you know that's probably one of them i'd also like to say i'm going to do it in this red unit op next week but you know i'd like to see a bit of air traffic control and some better battle space management for aircraft in armor where we can do it it's not needed for every op but where we've done a few ops recently where we've had you know six or eight aircraft um we can definitely do some work there to make it a bit more um streamlined yeah uh all of this kind of again harks back to the logistics center of having different vehicles airframes helis whatever it is it uh, in the end be their own distinct uh, type of uh, machinery but yeah, as uh, as uh, William noted, even if someone is like tier three or four in, in rotary, they might be shit at flying Chinooks, just or just not experienced in it. And uh, with, with some areas, you you can kind of cheese it. Like again, for example, rotary, you could just take observer slots over and over again, or a crew chief or whatever it's called, and never actually have to fly a heli. So that's something, yeah, that might be beneficial to that. Yeah, I mean that, like I said before, and uh, I don't like to promise too much on timeline, but that's something I expect to be to be fixed by the end of the year. I mean, this also kind of extends to just general infantry roles with all the different weapons and stuff we have. Although not really, it's just left click to shoot, isn't it? But yeah, things like lot, AT. A lot more forgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to learn recall patterns like in CSGO. I mean, you know, you still leadership, can. leadership's another one where you know, um, you, just because you're a good fire team, it doesn't mean you're going to be a good squad leader. You know, that could be for every level. Um, and at the moment, we have a way of stopping people from from doing that, but we want to remove that really and go back to uh, to go back to the qualification topic before. You know, some roles will just you know um, give you a, a, a slight advantage if you're qualified. Other roles, you have to have the qualification. So you'll know on the role center when we first introduced that concept that you've got like special forces operator and it says like tier four qualified. It means you need to be tier four and you must have the qualification to do it. Because our original idea with special forces was that, you know, everyone that was deployed on that operation would have had to have done whatever the requirement was for that and make it super, super, you know, difficult to, to get in that group. So it may be that some roles are denoted, you know, and leadership may be one of them where, you know, yes, you need the tier, but the tier is the primary requirement. And the secretary requirement is that one of the instructors has to have signed you off and said, you know, you can do it. And and Scala, is it Skada? Scala agrees? Scada, yeah. Scada agrees. Uh, could that be a dynamic badge to tack onto a slot like, like the ale plate thing where you don't, hmm. Well, you want to have qualified people in that specific slot because it's a high intensity slot for that particular mission, but not always. So you want to have a tier one qualified marksman or a tier two qualified medic for that one issue. Oh, I see what you mean. Make it dynamic. Yeah, um, I suppose you could do. Um, look, we don't want to. We don't want slots not to get filled. Um, it's important to say that, like, any time we change things like this, the system is always there. And, and always designed to 
prioritize those that have the requirements but not penalize the people that don't you know ultimately if if the slot's still open for the deployment yeah it might be and having a body rather than nobody is probably better but um, yeah not not always it would be a similar thing to the outplay slots i imagine where they either open up after some period of time or they are limited in number per orbit per count of people or even it came up in conversation the other day for parable i believe where parable has normal slots but it's a spec ops mission so perhaps if you select that it's a spec ops deployment you get a higher number of possible qualification slots you can tack on yeah that's interesting i think a lot of these you know it's something like the qualification system will be the biggest change to dynamic orbit since fatigue um and so you know fatigue is relatively new still but we we don't want to change things too often to get used to them i think we probably introduce it monitor a bit like we have done with fatigue monitor how it affects things and then make changes from there but you know ultimately i think it'll just make it a fairer system and it will definitely you know the current system does uh benefit more established members a lot more than it does newer members i think a, a qualification system will still do that but it'll also uh, even it out a little bit so that newer members aren't as penalized by it. And I mean, this could even be extended to things like specific weapons systems, maybe. I'm thinking, like, as you would have in a battlefield, you get like a service star for however many kills you get with that weapon system, and extending that to, like, for example, medium AT. And I, I think we had with the germans as a medium at you had like a stationary i don't quite remember what it was called but it was something yeah, you had to you pl- plop down and use it like that which is radically different from being able to just shoulder your maws and uh pop a shot yeah. and then just having these type of service stars which show how experienced someone is with that weapon system maybe have we had any questions on this um that was a good resonance to, for the qualification system, but no questions I saw. Mm-hmm. Just scanning. Yeah, badges came up. Like you, I, I steer know. away from from badges. My attitude has always been, you know, no, but I, <laughs> I hate this sort of attitude of you. You do this one thing once, and then you get a shiny badge, and you're forever good at it. We, our system is always designed on continuous improvement, but that said, it has its own drawbacks, which you know, something like the qualification system will will fix. Um, okay, it's probably relatively similar to a badge system, but it, those that are really really old will know that Unitaf used to have, you know, there never used to be tiers. It used to be a basically, if you wanted to do a role, you had to qualify for that role. And the reason oh. we cha- the reason we changed the tiers was because a lot of people didn't like that sort of, and I can understand it. You know, imagine you know you, you want to be a automatic rifleman, and someone is telling you, well, "Sorry, you're not good enough." Um, the tier system is a lot less harsh way of of dealing with the the requirements. And so, whilst the code exists, as Scope said, I think when we reintroduce that sort of level of 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 box ticking, we'll do it in a way that's much more or much less rather towards you're not good at this to showing people where we think they need to improve and trying to do it in a way that's not gonna gonna be bad for them 
Is that perhaps what Eduardo is uh, touching on with this question or with his comment about you can do five tier one marksmanship FTX and you are considered more qualified than somebody who's done a tier one, a tier two, and a tier three? I think what they're going on about is having a sort of a slate or like a a type of scoreboard that is being wiped. So you'd always have like your top 10 in marksmanship for whatever time period. Those people would be considered more qualified just because they've been doing better during ops during uh, trainings and stuff like that instead of just having like basically quality or uh, quality over quantity i I, th- I think is what the sentiment is in chat i mean if someone's raised an interest i can't see where i just saw it but someone raised an interesting point about um the expiration of tears escape um, tear decay over time yeah it's it's Again, we just talked at the top of the podcast about re-ranking people, which I'm sure is going to be relatively un- unpopular. But um, And I'm sure it'll be the same for tiers. But if you think about it long term, there's no other option. Um, because essentially, you, you'll have everyone, you know, everyone, if people stay for a really long period of time, we go into Armour 4 and we're still here in 10 years' time, which you know, I'd like to think we would be. Um <laughs> It'll be chaos. It'll be like before before the fatigue system, before the tier system. So we've always planned to do something like, you know, your practice hours, you know, are only valid for two years or something like that. A long enough period that most people here won't won't need to worry about it for a long time. But, you know, FTXs you did two years ago start to not count towards tiers or, or something like that, you know. Um, so again, continuous improvement is important. You know, two years is a relatively long period of time. Well, they could factor in, yes, the last FTX you've done, but also how often you've deployed in that role in that given time period to look at, have you just done the FTX once and deployed a couple of times and never again? Or do you continuously deploy in that role because you get better at it? Or you want to get better at it? And good counterpoint again, that would kind of put people into their own little boxes again, like, oh, this guy's really only known for being good at marksmanship. And he's only really slotting for marksmanship because he wants to keep the expertise there instead of branching out into different areas. So again, slippery slope there, and uh, it's not always as easy as... But I should put like a caveat that with this. This is not actually the, the discussion point of the podcast that we were discussing, and uh, we've got a little bit off on a tangent. It's an interesting topic. There's nothing particularly planned for this at the moment other than the qualification system. So it's good to to see people's ideas and stuff, but I don't worry anyone with any immediate change. Uh, it's not uh, <laughs> what we were planning to talk about. Uh-huh. Yeah, usually we go on an, off on a tangent because either someone in here is talking a lot, or uh, in, in, no in today's case, <laughs> in today's case, uh, really good questions and suggestions from the chat here, which is again highly encouraged. Thank you guys. But I would just like to cycle back yeah. once to something James said uh, about ticking boxes. Did you mean? Um, let's say you, you've done your tier 1 FTXs, but to progress to tier 2, you need to have done a tier 2 FTX with the SOP relevant to what you want to do. So or is that can, something different? So what I can say is our approach to qualifications is role-based. So whatever the roles that list on the orbit are, we would, call, we would look at a qualification based on a per-role basis. So if you take Combat Lifesaver as an example, like we need the ability to qualify someone as a as a competent combat lifesaver, irrespective of what their tier is. It might be that they're a recruit 
and they're a fully competent combat lifesaver, and that there should be a way of them bypassing the 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 any other requirement that's needed to slot to that role, so long as they're still being considered in the line of succession if that already exists. Um, when I talk about box ticking, we don't want to make a qualification system administratively mundane, nor a large overhead for the the people that are tasked with in implementing and instructing it right. So a bit like the tier system is automated, whilst obviously a qualification system can't be as automated, there will be a level of automation to it. Um, but whatever we do introduce, I want it to be a positive thing. So I want it to be something where, you know, all the time when we when we do uh, operations, you know, the squad leaders will say, you know, in the debrief, have you got any feedback for me? What could I have done better? And that's the angle we want to approach it. Not, no, you're not good enough, so you're not qualified. You know, we need to find a, a good way of spinning. Yeah, because always the chance of creating friction there because... The person who's being criticized, well, yeah, I've done nothing wrong. I've done quite well. The one who's examining him might have a bit of a different uh, opinion on that. Uh, another thing that's been posted in chat by Eduardo is having examinations direct on the website. So what I'm getting from this is what you're thinking. Like, for example, having your driver's license test on the website and it asks you to, to fill out like this, this multiple choice questionnaire. Or uh, <laughs> things like <Yeah>. safety <laughs> and whatever, which is actually done by real militaries. I've had to do a lot of those. But problem with that one is it's it's kind of an open book test, and then people can well just just look at or read through the SOP if they don't get a question, which would mean we'd have to introduce time learning questions and things like that, which sounds like a lot of dev work yeah, for me. I, I've look, we've considered it in the past. Um, not as a primary option, but as a like optional. If you want to do it this way, you can. Um, things like communication really probably lend themselves to this. There, there's a couple of subjects that we always do, usually in theory, uh, that might work well like this. And I can see it being beneficial for you know some of those ftxs that are theory based you know you can sort of come along and drag your feet and maybe you don't fully understand it but there's no way of us really knowing you know so it might be something you see in the future i wouldn't bank on it it's certainly not a priority there's a lot of other things we want to do in the meantime um but i wouldn't completely rule that out either but i think if we did do it it would be an optional thing that you could do above and beyond everything else it wouldn't be uh a requirement. Yeah. Again, a lot of dev work, and we only have what is it? Two people working on the website now. Yeah, but I would also say to that point though that the qualification system, in whatever form it is introduced, is designed to do exactly that: determine, irrespective of experience, who's actually competent. And I've always said this: you know, somebody with a high tier could be actually incompetent. And somebody with a low tier could be highly competent. The whole point of that system in whatever form it's introduced is to, to find the answer to that question. And I think that is what Maya was getting at here with his last question or comments, where even as, if you're a recruit, you can do the qualification, go through the qualification system and prove that hey, you're competent. Yeah, I think, I think how that might work for Maya, for example, is say, say Maya is a CLS on an op 
and somebody in his element is a CLS instructor, say Bex is a rifleman in that team, is that Bex would be able to, after that op, go and fill in some information on his dossier to say, yeah, actually, he can do all of these things. And maybe there's, maybe he's not fully competent. Maybe there's a couple of things he needs to work on. And Beck says, you know what, you did great. You need to work on this thing. And then the next time he deploys, another instructor finishes ticking all the boxes. I know I said I wasn't into box ticking, but there is an element of box ticking. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it can be done like that. And I do like to think that you know we can get a lot of this achieved in operations and fill the the blanks in after them. Um, bit like a report card I guess <laughs> they're, they're mocking your pronunciation of mayor or okay, ma- major so. Meyer. It, it's the same each, with, with each isn't it I don't know <laughs> mayor yeah ma- yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> ordering the chat guys right um do we have anything more on that topic we really went off a tangent here <laughs> We did. We did go on in time. I mean, the summary basically is um, some pretty earth-shattering rank changes in the next month to be confirmed. Um, we talked about recruitment retention, which is a big topic at the moment, and how we're sort of going to look at that. And then obviously, um, Unitaf becoming a more multi-platform unit, and how that's going to look over the next year or so. You know. We don't know when Armour 4 is going to come out, but we need to be prepared when it does, and I think that's something that we need to make sure we are ready for. Yeah, I think they've announced a teaser on uh, Armour Freeze 20th anniversary or something like that. I don't think there is anything that we've heard that's concrete, is there? <laughs> no, no. Uh, I would have one last topic here, and that's just changes in uh, an update on the campaigns. Would you want me to go through with that? Yeah, go for it. Right, so, and this is all just things I've uh, picked up, is that, for example, Operation Parable, or the campaign Parable, is being taken over by Nico. There's been a few changes here and there with uh, com- uh, people changing, or, uh, the campaign manager side of things changing. I think Skull's taken uh, senior field leader on that one. Correct if I'm wrong, Scully. At least that's what I've been doing the last four missions, I believe. So I'll just sail ahead. So yeah, for those who don't know, those who are new here uh, on the website under the Campaign Center, you can look at all the different campaigns we currently have active or that are, that are uh, still having active deployments made for it. You can see a lot of information there, a good write-up of what the campaign is about, what you should expect when you deploy to one, because it can be quite radically different from, say, an Overture to a Sapphire one. You can see, I think it's all the deployments we had, current state of campaigns with some of them. And I think a lot of them still have to be updated. And in the case of, for example, Parable, which switches map and setting frequently, as for example, Aikia does as well, uh, those still need to be put in or frequently changed. So if you ever have any questions, uh, you can go there grab a lot of info there and uh, has the intel feed actually been filled out by campaigns now or is that it's a little we had, bit we, 
we had a, a bug little... with people not being able to see him. Yeah, I think we've got a bug going to be pushed out in the next update. Um, there's a little bit of general persuasion, a little bit of a few people have been pretty busy this month um, that, that you'll see probably it being used a little bit more and we'll start to push the campaigns into using it a little bit more. And as we start, start to roll out more features, I think it'll become a little bit more pivotable, pivotal, sorry, in what pivotal. we do. New word. Um, but yeah, the campaigns is something which, irrespective of what platform we're on, you know, it's going to work for that. So it's something we're going to keep adding to rather than making platform-specific developments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, all our campaigns are still progressing as they normally would. I uh, think I, Matt, is going to lean a bit more heavily on the whole coordination between the different Blue 4 units, so that's Canadians, Brits, and Germans. Yeah, so um, as the map proceeds further north, we're going to be linking all the front lines up and working together more solidly. Actually, that leads me to another topic. Has there been any progress on being able to do multi or bad deployments on the same server? Or is that still... That yeah, okay, let's skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you didn't run that one by me. Yeah. I didn't dare ask it. Um, ah, I just had to, you know. Yeah, it's uh, source up to that one. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, soon, TM. Yeah, yeah, Sean, I get you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so much for updates and campaigns. It's it's really hard for even myself to <laughs> keep on the beat on it. But Dunworth's probably a good person to ask there as a head of mission making. But yeah, I think I think as well. Um, what's good to see and is a lot more people getting involved in it. Unless that's just my perception, but there's a lot of people getting involved in the mission making process. And ultimately, that's probably our biggest requirement overall. I think ultimately, we, we essentially have the ability to run an infinite number of missions. Uh, just having good and competent people that enjoy doing it is, is the main priority, isn't it? Um, and so if, that, if that's something you're interested in, then, then get in touch with the campaign managers. And, and you recently did a mission support FTX, I'm sure. You know, there's people Multiple. There. Yeah, exactly. So just getting those people involved and seeing what the likes of, of you know, Crossy, Miko, Jazzman, and everyone that's got involved recently, Jeb, have done is is, is great. Um, leaders, you know, we can always find and train leaders. Um, and that's probably the next thing that, that will be a thing that we need to do. But um, people to design these missions and make them is, is a fundamental part of what we do. Yeah, again, if you're interested, and uh, I think I've plucked this in every tabcast I've been in now, if you're in any way interested in mission-making and creating stories, campaigns, so on and so forth, don't be afraid to message me or Dunworth. We'll help you through the process of it. We'll get you uh, hooked on the zoo side, so to say. Shameless plug. Yeah, every time, every time. Uh, like I say, at least he turned up this time. That's you know, har, har. bonus point. I mean, hey, oh, well, we're doing shameless plugs like Zuko is right now. Ethel Parable, <laughs> by the way. Go ahead. Uh, mission success pending, uh, knock on wood. We're doing the last mission on Fallujah next time, and we'll switch it up afterwards. Of course, I don't want to uh, say too much. Nico, please stop me if I'm stepping out of line here. 
Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing what Parable develops into after Jasmine has now um, passed on the scepter, as it were. And I believe excited. we'll be seeing some uh, MP7s. Ooh. I don't know. I'm just a speculation here. You know? I, I think no, no pressure, but is Parable not the third highest rated campaign of all time? You've not got a bit of a difficult flag to carry? Not to my merit, anyway. Good luck. <laughs> you, you have to say it is an odd one to be thrown into as your first time field leading in UNITAF you know as a back ops mission and with that sort of luggage behind it yeah. it, it was an exciting first foray into it for sure yeah Have we? Um, I suppose it's a good point here now we've probably murdered the three main topics that we wanted to talk Absolutely. about today but if people have got questions, I mean, they don't necessarily have to be related to the ranks changes that we talked about or um, <laughs> the recruit retention or all the other stuff. Um, but if you've got anything you want to ask now is the best time to do it before um, we get booted out. If you have uh, two TAF cars, it's entirely part and parcel for us to go on a tangent. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's expected. And uh, don't forget the Tafter cast that's always gone after, which is <laughs> just drunken ramblings. But yeah, uh, I'm seeing the chat go rave about uni merch. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin is working on the merch at the moment. Um I hate I hate announcing things and then not doing them, which is what we did with merch in the past. Um we will do it. I've got a link that I'll post which has merch on it. Um so I'll post that in a second. So we are gonna do it. Um and we are planning to be confirmed. A meet up in March next year in Kent. It's a big military event there. Um, that has it's the biggest gathering of military vehicles in the world. Um, so our our aim is to do it in time for that. So I'll place some images in a minute. But I think that's I all I've got on that. Way back when I joined, I saw pictures of uh, uni candles. Uh, they still uh i think they were looking. sort of a joke but the ones that we have we've we've got three colors black um, gray and green i'll post the image and camo yeah excluding a war william it's peacetime gathering of military vehicles <laughs> what would a uni candle even smell like i may have the image of the uni candle somewhere but yes the images that i remember I'll see if I can find the unicandle's not official. That was just a joke. <laughs> Make it official. Lift me up. Obviously, put me down, the people you? that aren't listening live are going to need someone to explain to them what images are being posted. It's images of T-shirts, but you need the Unitaf logo on it in many different colors. Just scanning the media probation channel, but it's just people posting about the uh, logo being off center. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, James. Have we had any questions coming? Uh, no, but apparently they're all agreeing that a uni candle would smell like sweat. Okay. Which uh... here's the uni candle. I think it will smell like the sand on Diallo. Had that ham 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 what? So yeah, that. Ending that, it's it's being worked on soon. TM, 
Yeah, not the candle, but the, the actual merch. The, 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 yeah. Uh, patches I haven't got an image of, but they'll also be worked on as rubberized Velcro. Ooh. And they'll be the actual Unitaph patch. So that is also being worked. Ah, there's the uni candle. Or if you if you're a pillow type, why not get a pillow? I oh, uh, body pillow. No, talk about no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. Or the the other one that someone suggested was one for for Bex, which is this one. <laughs> yeah, wrap flip. Yeah. So yeah. We could do custom, you know, Enotaph emote merch, but yeah, I think that's it. For anyone listening that's not watching live might struggle to follow this uh, specific segment, so we should probably uh, just see if there's any questions there, if we have not missed any. <laughs> um, meet up in Kent. Circle. I, I don't know exactly what that event is. You said something about the largest gathering of yeah, let me get the parade. Yeah, let me get the. Let's go to the south. Ugh. Oh, keep it a bit. I mean, I'd, I'd have to cross the fucking. Uh, yeah, a lot. So a lot of um, people from Europe come to it. It's quite. It's quite easy to get to, which is why it will work quite well for. Hey, just like Unitaf. Oh, I'll, I'll, it'll come to me in a minute, and I'll post it. Mm-hmm. Can't remember the name of it. Some people might have already been to it before. <clears throat> cool. I'm just trying to see if there's any questions that aren't on um, jokes. Uh, they're sparse, but I think they're in there somewhere. <laughs> Unless any of you have got anything else. It's not Capel. That is a good one, though. It's uh, it's War and Peace Revival. Website link incoming. There you go. No one wondering. Oh, uh, Khan asked about a guideline for story creating. Uh, We mostly try, or at the moment we have a bit of an excess of campaigns, so to say which all have fully fleshed out stories, uh, lore behind them, like situations, everything. So normally we try to, this discourage is a bit of a harsh word, but get newer mission makers to make either missions for the campaigns or something along the lines of that, instead of making an, an entire campaign uh, and it then not being able to be followed through because we have such a dilution of different campaigns that what we have at the moment because I think we're basically covering every type of spectrum uh, of what is possible and, and is fun in armor. I mean, Say if you'll let me, big... I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. happily contradict myself from last from Tafka 7. Um, oh no, the... <laughs> glad there's no the, recording of that. The landscape has changed a little bit since then, so the answer to that question is. Now campaigns have a requirement for frequency. So if you want to start a campaign and you can guarantee that it's, you know, you you can pick the frequency, right? So if you want to do it weekly or 
every other week or once a month. If you can guarantee the frequency of it and you've got a leader, you, you essentially need a few things for a campaign. You know, you need a couple of leaders that will lead it and you need a couple of GMs that will run it. If you can pull a team together and guarantee that it's going to happen on some level of frequency, then we would look at quite seriously at, uh, at launching that as a campaign. But with the caveat that at the moment where it would depend on the type of campaign, right? So we're probably not looking for any more conventional campaigns at the moment. We'll probably be open to more peacekeeping and more insurgency, maybe some more special forces or some covert style stuff. So it depends what what sort of classification the campaign sits in. So we're not completely against it, but bear in mind that these guys will tell you we get about 10 campaign suggestion briefs a month of campaigns that people want to run. So it's still true that we would try and encourage people, certainly if they're new to, to, to UNITAF, or to mission making to get involved with the current campaigns first before you you know start a new one but we're always happily take take briefs then still again i'd advise you to make a mission for a campaign that is already established instead of putting all the work in and it all being changed i mean i think everyone who's done their first mission can tell you that their original concept although still being there has been changed quite substantially <clears throat> so please 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 don't put hours upon hours of work into something that isn't guaranteed to be put in uh it's always really sad to see these really like fully fleshed out pitches and lore and backstory and everything i don't want to say go to waste but being put on on the back burner and then only eventually being ducked back out again. So please don't put too much work into something that isn't uh, confirmed yet. Definitely. And I, th I think, you know, we, we like to strike a perfect balance between being open to new ideas, but also not radically changing the landscape too frequently. And again, we always use Jazzman as an example, but, um, you know, Jazzman went through that platform and has introduced, you know, two of the, okay, frequency comes into it a fair bit when it comes to average attraction report ratings, but you know, Overture and Parable both very highly rated campaign and both relatively different to what, what we would put on before that year. So if you've got a unique idea, it might not currently be something that we do, but it doesn't mean that it's not gonna be something that we'll implement. But we definitely want people to have experience uh in our current campaigns before we let them loose on new ones. Yeah. Then again if you want to get stuck into it, DM me or uh, Dunworth, and we'll help you any way we can. And I had a question here from Eduardo, or a bit of a reminder, I guess, is that we once tried to do weekly infantry lessons, or uh, infantry FTXs, with uh, new GMs making a sort of scenario or concept or something along the lines of that. We sort of try to do that but it's more in a split off type of way again with new mission makers being brought on board being aided where they can but i don't think doing weekly infantry ftxs is something uh, we can support at the moment correct me if i'm wrong james uh yes and no so two of the things that sort of tie into this is you should expect to see monthly recruit only ops and probably fortnightly advanced infantry FTXs. So the whole point of STAG 2, which is led by Johannes, is to develop a lesson plan 
that's not going to be mundane for experienced members, but is going to build upon the skills of the intake. So think about CQC, think advanced movement, think movement under fire, think basic leadership. Um, it might not be a single lesson plan. It might be two lesson plans that we do in rotation. It's something that we want to encourage you know, everyone to go to, to touch up on skills, make sure you know they're not getting rusty. But at the same time, you know, recruits need their additional practice hours, don't they, for promotion to tier two core infantry. So that's also the purpose that it will serve. But coming from an angle of something that's genuinely enjoyable to go to, useful and isn't you know a mundane thing to do something that everyone you know assuming everyone's enjoys infantry play which you know 90 percent of people should do um johannes might be able to say more on it but essentially we're aiming for something that's relatively fortnightly two or three a month Mm -hmm. uh matt that makes me think of the what was it called unyashi maru that Uh we had which i believe counted as ftx hours but was more of a scenario typed yeah. uh, training. Is that something that saw success? I wasn't really involved with anything in that. Yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> it was quite highly rated by the uh, people that attended. And it seemed to be effective for the leadership, um, which is what we were going for. So uh, I'm sure Crossy and I will run it again. Mm-hmm. I think that's really also something to. Uh, pursue is because these FTXs are always a learning type of environment, fairly low pressure, I'd say. So bringing something like that into a full package, like a deployment or an operation, seems like the next logical step to me, doesn't it? I think I think about when I when we do the attack and defend FTX, it's about designing it in a way that practices the the specifics of what we're trying to learn without talking to people for you've got to try and design it in a way that they come to the conclusion themselves you know and that's saying that the attack and defense ftx we've run a few times people quite enjoy that and there's a lot of lots of other ftx's we do that are more practical based which really do drive home the message of of the sop um and and are essentially still ftx's I always explain FTXs as the you know they could be full of action. They're essentially just operations without us without a story, you know, and some of them have more talking than others. Yeah, I think what yields the most successes is taking one of the SOPs we have and sort of designing an FTX around it, or just picking a like picking and choosing a few of them and doing an FTX around them. Uh, what I always try to do is make it a bit more of a full package. So you have a clear progression from a theory to practical, a bit of theory again, and then something like that. Uh, William, I think you'll be happy to hear that's coming back. Yeah, <laughs> soon TM. But yeah, you, like, you plan in um, compliment to your own FTXs in in the chat. I'm uh, loudly announcing them here, so it, it's it's listenable to on Spotify, and I'll just put that on repeat. Definitely. <laughs> Oh, for the record, I would like to be on record saying I'm involved in this. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, you are. You are playing a part in this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being a dick. But yeah, that's something that's coming back. Uh, this one as well was a bit of a, as you said, uh, operation without a story, really. <clears throat> it's just putting people into a specific environment. And uh, 
testing or honing their skills, their specific skills uh, in, in, in that environment. Yeah. There should be some more comms and the Shabbat is coming up soon. I'll get a few scheduled in, in October. Cool. Yeah. Have we exhausted the questions? We, uh, we did that like an hour ago. Ah, okay. <laughs> so if you guys have anything more, uh, we'll answer them now. But if not, I think uh, we're good to wrap it up here. Yeah, all, all I would say in summary, unless there's any questions, is sit rep probably within Two. the next week to 10 days. I'm not sure exactly, but it's it was due today. But we've still got a little bit of work to do on the things we talked about today. So expect it you know, within a week, 10 days. There may be an element of we'll announce some pretty, like I say, some big changes, but they may not be effective as of the date of the SIRAP. They may be announced at the SIRAP and effective at a slightly later date. But um, yeah, within the seven to 10 days. Yeah, I mean, they are approximately, so still upcoming. But yeah, if that was anything, I'm not seeing many more questions. Other than There's one. Oh, yeah, right. There is one. Uh, Mayor is asking if we are personally happy with the changes since the last TAFCast. Yes, Vike, pricing on the patches is to be decided. So that's <laughs> something upcoming. But uh, he's asking if we're making the progress that we're uh, looking forward to make or uh, the progress we're hoping to make. So when we're getting abused for calling, uh, for saying mayor, is that because you introduced it as mayor and I said mayor or what? Well, I'm, I'm saying it in like the German pronunciation, so that, right. that's on me. I should, same, I should say it more same. like an American, mayor. Same here. Uh, um, anyway, um, the answer to that question. Um, yeah, ge generally quite happy. Um, it, it's always a difficult one because, you know, yeah, you've, you know, people that have been here longer, you know, we've, we've, thrived during a global pandemic and UNITAF's not really known anything but a global pandemic. I mean, to put it into context, when we came out of our first winter, we went straight into COVID. So we've never experienced a proper summer. This is probably the first time UNITAF's actually had, a, well, it's not even a real summer really, because I mean, there's still some issues around the world, but you know, this is probably the closest we've had to good weather whilst UNITAF's actually been running. So we don't actually know what, you know, We've got nothing to compare it against. That said, you know, st stats-wise, we're quite happy. You know, mission ratings uh, last month specifically were were the best of all time, um, on average. And you know, the attendance is still roughly where we want it to be. To be. That said, you know, there's always issues. Um, running an organisation of this size or any size is a difficult thing to do, and it's even more difficult to do over a long period of time. But the staff are obviously committed to the long term. That's why we will never um sacrifice any element of short-term or individuality over long-term prosperity so you know, we're, we're more than happy to annoy you short-term if it's going to have a long-term benefit in, in the nicest possible way um uh, the biggest challenge at the moment is is that we're playing a dying game you know and that means that a, the, a lot of effort from all of us staff and non-staff trying to solve problems that ultimately we have no control over so you know what we're really looking forward to is is some light at the end of the tunnel 
um you know we'll keep doing what we're doing and we'll try and improve it as best we can but there's a limit to how how much we can do with the tools that we have imagine yeah. what we could achieve with um with a new a new engine something different so yeah we're, we're thriving in in the sandpit in which we've decided to play in but we're also looking at expanding our sandpit yeah, fifty percent of making missions is just wrangling with armor's limitations, and anyone who's ever attended a mission support FTX uh, will know that. Uh, be it engine limitations or AI and whatever, so I'd, I'd I'd be happy for a new engine, please, please. It's coming. It's just a lot later than expected. Yeah, it's been due five years ago. <laughs> Good question. Though. Yeah. Uh, there was one other, wasn't there? Uh, Rizzler, run down the ranks. Uh, it'll be on Spotify, Spotify in a couple of hours. Listen, listen back. And the chat will still be here, so if you do think of any questions uh, about the rank stuff that we talked about, um, feel free to use the live chat and we can maybe come back to you on that. Which wouldn't really be a live chat anymore, but semantics aside, I think that's every topic wrapped up. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll call Tafcast 8 here. Thanks, everyone, for listening, tuning in at whatever point you did. Again, any questions, put them in here. We do read it. And if you want to have a re-listen of it, it'll be posted on Spotify. I think, what was it, uh, Linktree? Or it's going to be linked on the website anyway. So you can listen back to our lovely voices and mine. <laughs>